from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Some judges do push back. She was considerate of my situation knowing that I had a baby at home. Um, But a lot of the judges simply rely on those no-bond recommendations and, and detain people. The reality is that the prosecutors are recommending no bond no matter what the charge is. It's sort of a, a more insidious form of violence. What is it like in 16B? You notice the inhumanity of it. There's an extensive legal history uh, regarding pretrial detention. I'm Danny Wisentowski. In St. Louis's 22nd Judicial District, there is a special court, Division 16B, that handles bail hearings, which can determine whether someone accused of a crime is released on bail, meaning they pay a certain amount of money for their release, or if they're ordered to remain in pretrial detention, forcing them to marshal their defense from behind bars. These hearings can sometimes take just minutes, but they can be life-changing. And for the past year, court watchers from the Freedom Community Center have observed and noted what happens in these often overlooked hearings. And what they found is that in the majority of cases, judges have stopped issuing bail at all. To talk about this trend and what it means for the people going through these hearings, we welcome to the studio Patrick Sullivan, Freedom Community Center operations manager and a court watcher himself. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Danny. Patrick, this court-watching effort began in June 2021, and it continued for an entire year, and that's what this report is, wrapping up all of the data and the observations you've um, uncovered in these hearings. To start us off, why focus on bail hearings in this way? That's a great question. Um, So when we were thinking about uh, what we wanted to do with our court-watch program, we were thinking a lot about how violence is talked a lot about in St. Louis. Um, It's, you know, present in the news all the time. But what's not talked about is the violence of the criminal legal system, the violence that happens every single day in in, in 16B and in other courtrooms. And that's because it's deliberately hidden away behind the locked jail cells, behind courtroom doors that are inaccessible. Um, And so we wanted to do two main things with the court court watch program. And that was first to make violence visible, to make it apparent, make it clear to the public what's happening in our names, really. That's, you know, every, every case is state of Missouri versus person, and that's us standing, standing there. And then the second is what we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that we could hold the judicial actors accountable to some of the progressive pro- promises that they made in their election campaigns um, and th- that they continue to make. And so what our report does and, and what our court watchers do every single day is that we collect data and stories so that we can provide that visibility and ultimately seek to hold those those judicial actors accountable. Patrick, there's some context here in that it 2019, the Missouri Supreme Court ordered that judges should be considering non-monetary conditions for release. So in issuing bail, instead of saying, you know, $5,000, perhaps there could be other conditions, other aspects that would, you know, create some some way to let someone out of jail, but to make sure they return for their hearing, but also to make sure there's some consequence and something happening. But what's actually occurred after that Supreme Court decision is that judges have just stopped using bail, period. Is that what you found? And, and what does that mean? 
Yeah. So what we've found uh, in the past year is that judges are using what's called no bond allowed in 62% of the hearings. And so what that means is that people are held without the opportunity for release. Um, and so unfortunately, despite some really amazing organizing and activism from Close the Workhouse campaign and Action St. Louis and Arch City Defenders and the Bail Project, um, What's, what's replaced this cash bail system is a sort of default no release. And so people are held and they're at threat of losing their jobs, their apartments, their children in certain circumstances. Um, and so it's, it's sort of a, a more insidious form of violence, unfortunately, uh, that has replaced. And so that's what our court watchers discovered in, in watching court every, uh, every day. Um, and that's what, uh, you know, organizations in the city are trying to now tackle and create different alternatives for people to be released through other mechanisms um, so that the judges and the courts don't have to rely on on no bond allowed. Patrick, you spent a, a good amount of time in this courtroom. Just tell us, what is it like in 16B? Yeah, it's it's really, I think, the most sort of stark uh, thing that you notice when you go into 16B is you notice the inhumanity of it. It almost feels like a, a clinical setting, you know, where they're just processing people number by number, going through minute by minute, and it, it, it rushes by, really. And if you just take a moment to pause and think about what's happening in that courtroom, you really can be overwhelmed by by the sadness of what of what's happening. It's It's really the front door to people being ripped away from their families, the front door to being to people losing their jobs. And, and it ultimately is creating more violence in our city. And if you just take a moment to pause amidst the kind of process and legal procedure, you can really see and witness um, witness that inhumanity right in front of your eyes. Now, those those ripple effects, those really come out in in some some reflections and words that you shared with us uh, from a woman you ha uh, who was part of this process named Shiana. Uh, Shiana went through a bail hearing in 16B, and she talked about just the effects of just what it was like to have to spend 10 days in detention and what that meant for her and her family. Um, I almost lost my job. Um, I could have lost my baby to the system. I, I could have, you know, lost my apartment. Anything could have happened. Um, my son got sick when I was in jail, and I wasn't here to help him. And the people that were here did not know what to do. I couldn't send him to the hospital, so he had to go stay with my mom for the whole 10 days that I was in jail. At the end of the 10 days, the judge that I was assigned, well, he wasn't assigned to me. He was there. He um, was, he was like, consider, he was considerate of my situation, knowing that I had a baby at home. And he actually did help me get out of the um, situation that I was in. Patrick, there's a couple things that really stand out to me about what Shiana's describing. First of all, just the difficulty of, of being forced to spend 10 days away from her apartment, her job, her, her child. But she also talked about that she had a first bail hearing. She was denied. She had to spend 10 days in jail. And then when the next hearing, it was another judge who looked at her situation and released her. And, and you found that this is actually quite common, that people just cycle through these hearings until they get a different judge the circumstances haven't changed, only the judge has. What is this process and, and what actually is the consequences of this? Yeah, so we found that 138 people were released at their second hearing. There's two bail hearings in, in St. Louis City and 138 people were released at their second hearing. Usually it's a different judge from the first to second hearing. And so what that shows us is that um, 
it, it is indicative of the way that this is a punishment system, that people are, they are waiting seven days really for no reason at all. They could have been released at the first hearing, but just because of the difference in the judicial um, sort of temperament or um, some of the information that's provided, the judge is making a different decision at that second hearing. And really, you know, putting people in the really inhumane, torturous conditions of CJC for any amount of time is, is wrong. But to have that kind of seven-day or 10-day punishment period is just really, really inhumane. I think one critical piece of, of this that we haven't sp- spoken about yet is the prosecutors in this courtroom are recommending no bond 88% of the time. And so almost in every single case, they're standing up saying, this person should be detained without bond, this person should be detained without bond. And that's driving some of these high numbers of uh, of, you know, of judges deciding 62% of the time to hold people without bond. In part, that's because the prosecutor is unrelenting in their commitment to keeping people incarcerated. Um, and so I think that's a key factor that you see, um, that, that these prosecutors are really, um, in, in some ways, they, it doesn't even appear like they're considering the different circumstances. Uh, it really seems like they're just, their policy is, we're going to go for no bond allowed. And if it was up to them in the past year, 263 people would have been detained in CJC, which would have been a 50% increase in the jail population. And so I think that's a component of these hearings, too, is that you have this prosecutor who's consistently arguing no bond, no bond. And so the judges feel the pressure of that argument. Mm-hmm. Now, for the, the people who, who you saw coming through this courtroom, tell us a bit about, you know, what were some of the circumstances that brought them there? I think, you know, did relatively minor crimes or misdemeanors, did that make a difference for, you know, if they were able to get bond or, or not? You would think. You would think there would be some difference. Um, but the reality is that the prosecutors are recommending no bond no matter what the charge is. We have a, a graphic in the report um, that shows, based on charge, what their no bond recommendations were. And even for the lower level charges, it was still above 75 to 80 percent of the time they were recommending no bond. And the judges were complying in many cases with that request. Now, they did, some judges do push back, and they actually, there are some judges in the circuit who are really tremendous about, you know, finding sponsored recognizance release programs like the one that FCC uh, runs or using other tools to get people out. Um, But a lot of the judges simply rely on those no-bond recommendations and and detain people for the duration of their their trial. Mm -hmm. And then that term recognizance, that's that's sort of the term that's used for when someone is released, either, you know, they they paid their own way or there's some other standard. Um, there has been, a, you know, a lot of inquiry of, of what is the future of cash bail. There was, you were involved in the efforts to, to end cash bail in St. Louis City. Closing the workhouse itself was a, a lot of around, my understanding, is those people who were in there were pretrial detainees. Um, what's, what's the situation now? I mean, are, are the conditions at CJC better or are we still in kind of the same churn, um, in the same effort that you and others have been working on these last several years? There's definitely a lower jail population in St. Louis City than there were than there was four years ago. And so that's tremendous progress in large part because of these organizations that I mentioned earlier in the interview. The, but the reality is that the conditions at CJC, if anything, they are worse than they were before. We hear consistent reports of um, people being maced, of not having access to medical con- care, of, um, uh, you know, just sort of dwelling in this in this sort of horrible place. Now, Patrick, I wanted to just briefly interrupt you. We actually have a caller uh, who's calling us who is actually an assistant circuit attorney in the 22nd Judicial Circuit. Uh, welcome to the show, and, and what would you like to tell us? 
just like to add that there's an extensive legal history uh, regarding pretrial detention in the state of Missouri and how that process was run. Um, previously, there was no guarantee that a criminal defendant would, would appear before a judge prior to arraignment on a case in a timely fashion. And in some jurisdictions, that could take 48, 72 hours, up to four or five days before you would see a judge. And as a result of a federal suit, uh, the 22nd Judicial Circuit instituted the pretrial release bond hearing program that includes 16B. And, and and Patrick, just very quickly, you know, he's with this assistant circuit attorney is saying that there is a legal uh, standard for this. You know, this is not just an invented system and, and they are following their rules. What, what would you have to say to that? I would say uh, what he's pointing out is that there has been some progress made in St. Louis, that there is a sort of better, uh, potentially more fast project process than there was before. But the reality is that that's simply not good enough. Um, we are detaining people in this inhumane jail um, for, for far too long and even one or two days detained in, in pretrial detention. Remember, these are people who are legally innocent. They are being detained and even one or two days can have these extraordinary ripple effects that, that put people out of their homes, that make them lose their jobs, um, and, and that ripple into the community and make us feel the consequences of this. And that, that's something I really want to emphasize is that this is really all of St. Louis's issue. And that's why we're sitting in the courtroom every day is really to bring the community into the courtroom. Patrick Sullivan is the operations manager for the Freedom Community Center, and he's one of the court watchers behind the new report, A Year in 16B, and you can find that report linked on our website at stlonair.org. Patrick, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dore. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.